me saltaré de mi ventana y la muerte ahí me espera con otra vida. Perder ni modo que no es tan horrible, el cielo de hoy con su agua My name is Richard Villegas, and uh, we are still in New York City talking to some incredible guests, and we have some fabulous music uh, for you today. Um, the playlist for today's episode is actually being uh, curated in post-production, uh, so I don't really know what we're playing, but check the show notes, and I'll have a complete list of uh, artists and song titles. Uh, so we're going to wrap up the song, and when we come back, uh, I have a very, very special treat for you all. And I'm like genuinely kind of gooped that I got this interview. <laughs> the goop. <laughs> the gag and the goop, honey. The gag and the goop and the gag. <laughs> um, but today I am joined by the one and only Susie Exposito, uh, the editor of uh, Rolling Stone Latin. Um, what? Oh my God. Hi. Hola, perras. <laughs> How are you? Oh my goodness. I'm face cracked. I'm so happy to see you. We had a really riveting time in Mexico City, and 
honestly, I would love to do it all again if I could. It was, I mean, I told you it was, I told you it was a look. I was like, you're going to be like, <laughs> I mean, cause you guys might've seen the picture on, uh, I put it on our Insta where like we basically met Gloria Trevi and that was a, a piece that, you know, we can't elaborate too much on, but it, it was a, it was work. <laughs> and, um, that weekend pride shenanigans were everywhere. And so like, yeah, it was just a very special kind of energy in the city that week. Cause uh, Gloria was doing three sold out shows and I know, Girl. And yeah, they were fucking we oh, am I allowed to Yes, one, this is not NPR. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> you can cut this. This is mess PR. <laughs> this is mess PR. No, the the Gloria show, it was like we were standing for what, like three hours? Three hours. Literally three hours. And she just pulled out like all of the tricks from her bag, or she she it's rolled crazy. out all the stops. I, I just like, yeah, I'm still really overwhelmed. Uh, <laughs> I am working on a story about Gloria Trevi right now. And it's like, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm still processing everything. Um, how does one survive what she survived mm-hmm. and still come out swinging like that, you know? It's well. It's a, I think it's something really interesting because Latin America is so uh, such a devout audience, mm-hmm. and it's just like I mean, like that's why like you have people from all over uh, the Americas, and this includes the U.S., Brazil, and even Spain to a point where like they really come to try and make it in Mexico because it's first of all it's the largest audience in the Spanish-speaking world, and like yes, but they never let go. They never <laughs> let go, and so like if you make it there, if you have one song there, it's over. It's a wrap. You can retire. Like. <laughs> Because it's like, they will never let it go. Um, And so, well, anyway, so that was work. And, you know, we are going to talk about work because actually, like, you're one of my favorite media people because I feel like... Thank you. I feel like it's it. we are currently in a media climate that is very hesitant to Mm -hmm. make bold statements because uh, access journalism is a thing. And then, like, sometimes people don't want to work with you. And, you know, also, like, there's narratives and, and things of this nature. Before we super dive into all that, because we are going to talk about it today, I want to talk about you. Um, (laughs) Who are you and what is it that you do? Oh, man. Um, Well, okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) Very that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. My name is Susie Exposito, and um, my nickname for a long time was Susie X. That was my punk name. Cool. And the only reason I was called Susie X was because where I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida... Um, most people refuse to enunciate my last name. Work. <laughs> they said that they couldn't pronounce it, but I just think it was a refusal. So um, that's, that's basically how I describe it. And I do come from punk and indie world. Um, I cut my teeth as a punk singer in you know, some dinky little band in high school. Um, I actually used to sing in some bluegrass bands in college and then got sick of that um, because it was a very like, I don't know, prairie home companion type of vibe uh, Mm. where everyone had to be really wholesome. And I was like, fuck that shit. I'm loud. Uh, (laughs) And so I started a punk band um, in 2010 called Shady Hawkins and it was like a combo. If it, it, it was like, let's see, if you combined like the Cramps with Babes in Toyland and like uh, 
Bikini Kill and The Ventures, then that would have been my band. Oh, yeah, and Black Flag, of course. (laughs) So we were, I don't know, there was just something really swampy and surfy about our punk music. Um, But now, you know, I'm not in a band anymore. I decided to lean into journalism. Um, I got a journalism degree at the New School in New York City. Yeah. Um, I actually, I double majored in journalism and gender studies. Okay. Um, and for my senior thesis, I did a graphic novel. I do a lot of stuff. I draw <laughs> as well. So um, basically the way that I ended up at Rolling Stone is really funny. And and partly it was through drawing that I ended up in Rolling Stone. Okay. Yeah. So I used to be a freelance illustrator Actually, I still am a freelance illustrator, uh-huh. but I started getting published on a regular basis on uh, RookieMag.com. I was going to bring that up. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So I, I drew a serial comic called The Best Song Ever, and it was about a punk band with uh, four women of color, and um, they were called The Best. <laughs> they were Actually, very, that's a really solid name. Yeah. They were really like confident cool group of girls. And, um, I did that serial comic for two years. And during that time, I just like, I had people asking me to write about music. Mm -hmm. I was also playing music, um, on my own and like touring and playing lots of shows. My band actually, like most of the shows that my band played was, it was like, benefit shows Mm -hmm. that we played usually to like bail somebody out of jail or pay their legal fees. That's almost Florida thing. Or for, you know, like, um, to help people fund top surgeries. That was like a really common thing. Um, we were part of the Brooklyn trans core scene here, which Mm -hmm. is like a collective of bands that, um, feature trans people. Wow. Um, so yeah. So like I was doing a lot of that just like, I don't know, just being like neck deep in a lot of, um, social justice stuff and like punk culture. And so being that I just avidly listened to music, I drew comics about music. Mm -hmm. I just started getting asked to write about music. And one of my key mentors in that time was actually Julianne Escobedo Shepard. Um, she wrote about my band in spin um, I think in 2012 or 2013, and when I I finally met her through Rookie Mag, and I was like, oh my god, how <laughs> do I be like you? <laughs> like I just wanted to be like her. Um, and she's someone who you know she's Mexican American. Um, she didn't go to college. She you know started out. Um, in, in zine world basically. And I was also in zine world. I made a lot of, um, my own zines and comics. I would self publish and go to zine fests or sell them at punk shows and stuff. And Julian also came from that world, um, ended up being, you know, the editor of fader, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and now, and now she's doing amazing work at Jezebel doing amazing cultural and music criticism. And I still look up to her a lot. So it was through her that I was able to meet editors at other publications. Um, It was also through Jessica Hopper. Um, She's a really like prominent uh, music writer, music journalist, um, who actually wrote a really 
crucial essay on like sexism and emo. Right. We wow. know that I love emo. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was so lucky to have the two of them as mentors, you know, because I, I rookie mag was, it was a magazine for teen girls, but it also had so much support among mm-hmm. like adult women who really, I mean, just went through a lot of shit to get to where they were in the business. And I just, I felt supremely fortunate to even have access to them in any way or to even have met them at like any rookie party or something where I could talk to them about what they did. Um, I'm someone in high school. I was like the music editor at my high school newspaper was really intense, was just like, you know, I had my Sleater Kinney shirt, my bikini kill shirt, whatever, all my patches and stuff. And I knew from the time that I took on that position when I was like 15, I was like, I was like, I want to see more women like me doing this thing. I want to see more Latinas doing this thing, especially, especially in like rock and alternative music. That was always my thing. So finally, um, at some point, I think, um, an editor at Rolling Stone reached out to me, um, Simon Vosick Levinson. Okay. And he still works here, but he reached out to me to write about White Lung for his uh, reviews section at the time. And this was like in 2014. And I kept writing more and more reviews. Mm-hmm. And then eventually was uh, I, I worked at MTV for a couple of years. Cool. Um, and then I came to Rolling Stone and I'm actually going on my fourth year uh, of working here full time. Oh my God, that's amazing. And yeah. and, and part of uh, what I find so fascinating about you is that you have been able to like incorporate this, I don't want to say a Latin boom or a Latin way or whatever, but like <laughs> it seems that the world finally picked up on the fact that like, you know, we have the plays and we have this money and like, mm-hmm. you know, and it deserves coverage. And just because it's not necessarily content made in English, it's not art made in English, mm-hmm. that doesn't make it any less or any more derivative or any way. And so, uh, I mean, the work that you're doing here is pioneering, incorporating such a strong uh, Latinx and Latin American uh, presence and sound within the content of the of the magazine, of this, you know, pillar of of media. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about that, about what that journey has been like. I mean, it wasn't easy. I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause like once I got here and you know, I don't, I don't say this to be self aggrandizing. Like I really, I, I do like my coworkers. Mm-hmm. I like what I do here. Um, but it was really, really striking to get here and be, the only Latina, Mm -hmm. um, on staff and also just be like, I think one of three women of color on staff, um, at Rolling Stone when I started and that number has fluctuated. Sure. (laughs) We have, I will say like we have many more people of color on staff at Rolling Stone. It's, it's definitely changed a lot since I started. Um, but you know, in the beginning it was, it was kind of hard. Um, the, I didn't start out as an editor. I started out as a writer and a web producer, which required me to actually go back into our archives and digitize a bunch of like old stories. Mm -hmm. Because even to this day, like most of, uh, 
the articles that ran in Rolling Stone for like the first two or three decades, they're not online. Yeah. Um, so my job was primarily taking those articles, putting them online, especially when someone died. I mean, everyone remembers 2016 when it was like, they were dropping like flies. flies. It was Bowie, like Prince. Huanga. Huanga died. It was all the queers, George Michael on Christmas day. Yeah. That was awful. But yeah, the gays were dropping like flies. Yeah. That was, that was rough. That was, that was was a hard year for us. It was a hard year for all of us. And so, um, you know, around that time I was just like churning out like all this archival content yeah. about people like Bowie and Prince and was thinking about how sad it was that like, I, I couldn't find any writing on Huanga and like, mm. <laughs> just, he was enormous, you yes. know, he was really like a, a force. You know? <laughs> and so like he was a force of nature and I, I just thought, you know, there's so little documentation yeah. that we have of this entire like universe, mm-hmm. this entire alternate alternate universe that just happens to exist in Spanish. Yeah. And it's like it's right next door. It's <laughs> literally right next door. It's like it's here though. Like and, and it's in here. the United yes, States, it's just thinking about how many people in the United States um only speak Spanish, only consume media Mm -hmm. in Spanish. I mean, for me, my, like my Spanish has definitely fluctuated, but, or my, my fluency rather has fluctuated, but I will say that like, it does feel like you're living in a parallel universe. Mm -hmm. Um, going to see Bad Bunny at Madison Square Garden and seeing it like stuffed to the gills. Okay. Like it was like, it was packed and just seeing seeing that, but not seeing it for other artists I'd seen at Madison Square right. Garden, you know, like who are some of the most recognizable names in Anglophone um, culture. Oop. I don't know. Oop. <laughs> <laughs> but no, just just thinking about how there is this parallel universe um, that has barely been touched by Anglophone media, mm-hmm. even as we exist among each other, even as I work you know, like at the same desk as someone who doesn't speak any Spanish at all. And they have no idea what's happening in my world. Um, but I have to be cognizant of everything that's happening in their world. And so I have led this double existence as many of us in the United States do for like my entire life. And I just thought about all the great music that, just hasn't been documented in Rolling Stone. And so I started, you know, being more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I will say being in meetings and being like, when are we going to put a Latina person on the cover? I don't know. When is it going to happen? Um, and just, just being super um, assertive about pitching Latina artists. And like, I, I don't know. It, it took me just being in the room and just yeah. saying it out loud, you know, I mean, for a while I was in the room and I didn't feel comfortable with doing that. Right. But now more than ever I am. Um, and it was finally last year, um, when, you know, I mean, it was, it was like a full year after Despacito like <laughs> hit number one, <laughs> 
but they were finally like, you know, we should really have a Latin section on the website. Like, do do you want to do this? Yeah. Um, and I was like, sure. You know, it meant that I got promoted, which was great. <laughs> which is cute. I it mean, was the, cute. The bank account, I'm sure, was appreciative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's also whispering. A lot of work. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um so I, you know, I happily did it and even at that point I was already doing the I was spearheading our best Latin albums list at the mm-hmm. end of every year. The first time we did that was in 2015 and that was when I pitched it. Wow. Um and so I just had uh, I had Isabella Regoza from who I previously worked with at MTV Iggy. Friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I also hit up Andrew Casillas. Cool. Uh-huh. Who you might know from Club Phonograma, um, who's pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> That's how that goes. That's, it's the nature of the game. Baby. I was like, you're the one. I was like, <laughs> I want you <laughs> to rate these albums. Um but yeah, that was that was the first time we did that list, and we did it in 2016. We did it again in 2017. Mm-hmm. And it was finally in 2018 that we started the Latin vertical. Um, so it's slow growing because I'm I'm the only person on staff who does it. So it means that I have to be super cutthroat about like mm-hmm. what I dedicate my attention to. Um, And so I I think it has been really interesting in that I have learned about, I I guess, more, um, I've become way more informed about, like, the inner workings, the underbelly of the Latin music industry in a lot of ways. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that. I mean, because there are, I mean, there are, you know, again, you you bring up a lot of very interesting stuff, like via Twitter. By the way, if uh, you do not follow (laughs) Susie yet on Twitter, highly recommended. Thank you. Um, Because, I mean, it's so insightful. I mean, you uh, had this really great sort of, like, thread recently about how a lot of people think that there's this sort of vendetta against indie music. And it's like, you know, because, but at, at the same time, people are only clicking on the celebrity news, not so much on, like, the profiles of, like, emerging artists or whatever whatever trust and believe song mess knows what that pain feels like <laughs> yeah. you know it's a lot of work and the the rewards are not always huge but it's also not about that you know yeah but but so tell me about like the, these sort of trends in media like what what do you like i the readers i mean is it frustrating like what pe- what gets clicks i think i think people they they like getting mad more than they like to read mm-hmm. and so like <laughs> Fair. i have to take it for what it is but um, there actually was a really good article that came out today in the Columbia Journalism Review, which I'm sure is only interesting to other people who write and <laughs> sometimes read. Um, but uh, this writer, Jeremy Gordon, like basically he, he talked to a bunch of different people in the industry about where this was going, about access journalism, the mm-hmm. fact that what we have today is like a it's an industry that very, I mean, it, it literally pays by the click, right? you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're really like just rewarded for celebrity coverage because that's like what people click on. Yeah. And I think that it's such a frustrating thing, especially when you've grown up to be like such an indie snob, the way that I am in my personal life right. for someone to like, you know, think that it's a question of your taste, you know, when, when thinking about why, you know, we have like 
so many more stories about Bad Bunny than we might have about, I don't know, like um, any artist, any, <laughs> any indie artist, whether it's like, you know, Combo Chimbita sure. or like your Rio Bombas, right. your <laughs> like it's, you know, I, I would love to write about all these people, but unfortunately it's like you have to, and this, this is something that's not even just an issue at Rolling Stone is journalism Everywhere. at large. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't want it to sound like a cop out, but it's like, you have to, especially if you're a music fan, you have to think of like other creative ways to like support these musicians mm-hmm. when, you know, the media, um, ecosystem that we're working with does not. Yeah. Um, I think that it's really important for me, you know, even if I don't have time to like write up some, I don't, I don't know, like some person's track release sure. or whatever. Like, even if I would love to do that in theory, like to be realistic, there's, there's not always going to be the time. Um, it's not an apology though. I want to make it really clear. Ah. I'm not apologizing for that. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I am, I am curious. So like, um, and I, I, I mean, this is going to be a very brief interview, my, my dear listeners, but I, I promise you <laughs> we're getting the good stuff. Um, I, I want to ask you about how do you speak freely without, well, I mean, I'm sure backlash is a thing that, I mean, journalists are accustomed to, Yeah. but like, again, I feel like it's a growing trend for people to try to shy away from that stuff. Like, do you, do you feel comfortable with a, with writing a negative review? Are you of the school of like, well, if it's not good, we just won't cover it. Uh, how do you approach these sort of like criticisms within media? Um, I, I think that you have to pick and choose your battles. Mm-hmm. Very wisely, of course. Especially more so when you're a music critic, um, and like I said, like it is difficult when I'm the only person yes. running a section. Yes. So I have to be especially discerning yep. about which battles I choose to start. <laughs> um, but I will say, like most of the time. You know, if I if I'm not into something, I just don't give it the time of day. Sure. Um, I can't possibly respond to every email. Um, I'm just like a human person who <laughs> needs to remember to eat and yep. like take a shower sometimes. Um, but I, I have given negative reviews before. I've had interviews where I have confronted uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> about about artists and I don't think it goes over so well like with any type of artist sure however I feel like um we're living in an era I say this specifically about Latin music where we're, we're seeing a sort of poptimism in our sphere mm-hmm. of things where but I, I think it's more so like um, with regards to like urbano music. Mm-hmm. And I think that while it's great to see more urbano artists um, on the charts, you yeah. know, because of existing prejudices against those genres, um, I, I think that, or specifically against the people who champion those mm-hmm. genres to begin with, like, I don't think that all Urbano is created equal. 
Okay. I mean, I, I've, I've been saying on the show and name checking it in different episodes. This mm-hmm. episode is not going to be that messy because we are adults and we are, you know, very <laughs> refined people. You're saying that because we're at my office. Indeed. But, <laughs> oh, that, by the way, this is being recorded in the Rolling Stone offices. I am legit crying. Um, but no, but I feel like a lot of, a lot of times media, you know, gives, gives many artists a pass because they mean something to a community, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and we will, uh, you know, I've named names to be, before and I and we will name names off mic or whatever but um but yeah I mean it's just like it, there's there's a cultural moment where a lot of uh, artists mean a lot to a community and, and especially in the U.S. right now where like a lot of uh communities that have been marginalized forever are seeking that representation and, and mm-hmm. that, they want that validation particularly because we're being threatened politically or, yes. or culturally yes um, cool well I have one more question before we wrap up because again Time is of the essence today. Um, and this is more a little lighter. Um, you are an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written pieces for you. Uh, and You're many fantastic. Pe- Thank you so much. You know, just it's my job. <laughs> um, but, uh, but many people write for you. What is it that you, uh, what do you look for in a pitch? What do you hate in a pitch? Um, what, what is it, what do you want from, from, a, from a writer that is approaching you? Oh, I think that's such a good question. For one, I really don't want a poptimist. Like I don't, <laughs> I really, I don't care. Like, and when when I say poptimist, like, listen, I, the people to whom that term was deployed against, I will just say, I fucking love like, um, Carly Beyonce, Ray. Yeah. Carly Rae, like Gaga, whatever. Sure. It's you know, like I I love pop music. I I think that there is a value in popular music. I. Never even, you know, even when I was a teenager, like listening to freaking the postal service, I still yes. played Daddy Yankee at my cheap ass quince party at school. Work. Like I you know, I still love um a lot of that stuff. And I, I like I still loved Juanas. Uh-huh. You know, like I I could listen to Juanas and then I could also listen to Marilyn Manson. It was just like, I don't know. Um, I do try and find the value in all types of music, but what I really hate is when someone's pitch is just limited to this artist is like super popular in their home country. They're, they charted number 32 on the top Latin songs chart Work. and they sold like X million amount of albums. I'm like, that's not, that's a fact sheet. That's not yeah, a pitch. That's not a story. And uh, no, there's no story there. I don't think that they're like, you could also just say that you like the artist. <laughs> that would tell me more than yeah. like saying that they were, you know, on the top of the billboard Blah, blah. Albums chart, whatever, whatever you want to say. It's like, that doesn't tell me a story. Like, what is it that moves you about an artist? That's something that tells me more of a story. However, I also hate personal essays. I don't want them. They don't belong here. So like, you can tell me in a pitch like, oh, I absolutely love like, I don't know, um, like the reason why so-and-so was important to me is because they're from my home country and like I have a lot, it brings up a lot of like vivid memories for uh-huh. me. Like, okay, you you have the emotional point down. Like you understand like, the context. Yeah, I understand why you're so excited about them. Um, that's not going to be in the story. Right. Um, I really like 
can't stress to you how much I do not want to hear about uh, your personal life. <laughs> the story is the story. You're In, not the story. The writer's I, not the story. Yeah, the writer is not the story is, is what I mean. Actually, no, I love hearing about people's personal lives. I'm just not going to publish it. Yeah. Um, I love the gossip. I love... Oh. I love a good, you know. She wants the tea. I no, I do want the tea sometimes, but no, like for for real though, like we don't do personal essays, we don't do memoir. Um, you know, you might be an artist who, or you might be a writer who uh, favors that. I like reading memoirs. Sure. I don't think they belong on. Uh, the website. So I mean, consider who you're pitching to also. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you've never read the content of these publications, you know, maybe familiarize yourself before you like take a shot in the dark, like OJ. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please read the website that you're pitching to. Very good. I just went on this like epic Twitter rant about it, but I think that maybe to end on a more positive note, mm-hmm. I think what I really love is when writers ask questions in their pitches. Cool. I want to get a feel for like how curious of a person are you? Because I don't want like uh, someone who is not gonna like do the work of possibly even surprising themselves with what they find. Mm-hmm. Like I want someone who wants to uh, be proven wrong in some instances. Like my favorite thing, you know, and I'm speaking for myself here, like my favorite thing about writing stories, um, whether they're interviews or like reported pieces, like my favorite thing is being proven wrong about something that I assumed it really is. Um, and I think that I can tell a good writer by the kinds of questions that they ask, right. by how inquisitive they are. And I think that if you're dead set on telling a specific kind of story about someone, like there, there is such a thing as having an angle, you know, yeah. like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> how, how does, you know, how does Bad Bunny feel about gender? Fair. Like, that's one question you could start with. But like, you know, if you wanted to investigate through his lyrics a little bit more then that's, that'd be something that shows your curiosity more than saying something like bad bunny is queer Jesus. Like (laughs) that's, you know, I, I think that it's a really good sign when you go in just immediately asking like 10, 20 questions about something Amazing. Well, I imagine some other writers will also listen to this. So uh, just a friendly reminder, please do not pitch via social media. Uh, Try. It's the worst. Try to find, find a way to an email and then send the proper pitch. Just FYI, because again, this is a conversation that Susie and I have had uh, in the past. (laughs) Um, uh, We are uh, wrapping up because again, time is limited. Uh, Susie, where, if people want to follow you on social media uh, or your work and your writing, uh, what would you like uh, our listeners to, to follow? Um, definitely follow me on Twitter. Um, my username is hex positive (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I'm usually blabbing on Twitter most weekdays. Um, and I swear to God, like, do not DM me. (laughs) 
There you have it. Um, <laughs> Do not DM me. I will banish you. And you <laughs> if we don't know each other, like, don't try it. Send them to the Shadow Realm. Yes. Um, banished. And you do write frequently for Rolling Stone. So yes. I, if they can read your words on there and get a feel for who it is that you are and what it is that you do. Um, again, Please. this is Song Mess. Y'all know where to find us. I do the usual sp- spiel. We got to get out of here. Th- <laughs> my, my guest is Susie Exposito. Um, again, you know, I will link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking Thank the time, Thank you, Susie. Richard. This is uh, fun. All right. And then playlist will be somewhere uh, in the notes as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This is Richard Villegas uh, from Song Mess signing out. Thank you so much. See you on the next one. Ciao. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God.